welcome back to the Screencast. Um, I think I'm a little starstruck. It's the first time I got to welcome anyone, uh, let alone some of my best friends, into an episode of the Screencast. This is Mike Delaney. I've been on and off the show uh, for years, but uh, now I've finally achieved my my true dream, which is to be to be Daddy Dereger. Uh Joining me now forever and always forever and actually yeah i say that everywhere but it's forever and always with these both for sure it's uh brad fuckle suck henderson and ms sarah quakendall how are you guys good hi mr d hey i'm doing perfect mike thank you for the lovely um intro for for, yeah. for myself thank I you mean- for your lovely self bradley I'm feeling a little starstruck. This is my first time on the screencast. Um, oh shit! Here I am making it about myself. Who, you know, <laughs> this is all that. That's right. Actually, it's our second time because we had that co-pro that we did like years ago. Oh the yeah, Mar- the one show that never that we we never came back with a second episode. That shit was so good. It was, it was good. Was a very good episode. I, I I I studied a lot for that. I think we broke Jim with that episode though. How many were there, guys? There were like six. There were like six movies we had to watch, or was there five? I don't even remember it. Four. It, it was four, four but uh, four. But, man, but there was, it was seven rough. of us talking. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a good episode. It was well moderated. I was the host. I could do that again. I will do that with this episode. Um, no, Brad and I uh, and Sarah, you know, have a have a group thread. We have. Uh, Several different threads. We're just talking, man. We wanted to get back together. So I told Brad, hey, I think you should platform Sarah and I because we have a cool new thing that we want to, um, you know, share with everybody. And what better way to do it than um, talking about what we love on the screencast? So, yeah. So Sarah and I are here from the Splat House uh, specifically to shill our new, excellent, awesome like super exciting show that we have coming out soon yes what a wonderful introduction our very very special show um and what is that called mr delaney slumber party sleepover oh did you want to sing i wanted to sing it oh yeah no definitely wanted to sing it um (laughs) yeah so that's why that's why i'm here visiting the screencast is uh mike d and i are taking the splat house to uh to video yeah. Um, so those of you who are fans of the original Splat House, um, we're kind of returning to our theatrical roots and putting out a, a TV show on the YouTube that we're calling Splat House Slumber Party Sleepover. And uh, we're really excited about it. It's something we've been working on for, God, for months now. Um, and for us, it's it's kind of meeting that middle ground of we used to have a stage show. For any of you who have actually listened to our podcast or earlier episodes that we called Splatter Cinema um, long before we did the podcast. And so this has kind of become our middle ground in between as a way to like utilize our skills um, as horror movie people, but also like as filmmakers in our own right. Um, So I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. 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 I am. You know, this has been a, uh, an odd, uh, journey i guess if that's what you want to call it from the time that the screencast started as far as me being originally being the very first guest 
on the show that developed into me being a host, co-host with Sean because he wanted to talk about Scream Factory uh, Blu-rays. So (laughs) (laughs) it is uh, developed into obviously 12 or 14 episodes of that into covering physical media to branching off and and trying uh, numerous uh, different things to try to keep this uh, thing alive because, I mean... Keeping up a podcast is incredibly uh, difficult when you don't put it as a main focus in your life, which I don't think Sean and I, we probably did for a tiny bit, Um, you know, and then we had various hosts, you know, Brian Sauer, BJ Colangelo, um, you know, Stephanie Crawford. What? I said legends. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, all wonderful people. I mean, you yourself included mike uh you know numerous guests and josh obershaw josh obershaw we we we, we've we've tried to like kind of reformulate and revamp numerous times to try to get us motivated into doing something but it's just like with everything our real passions behind um you know, with, with what I do, what Sean does, you know, and, and in yourself included Mike and Stephanie, we, we all have different things that we're after. So I am uh, thrilled to see, you know, the screencast kind of segue into, uh, I mean, you've been, you two been doing this for a, a while now, so it's nothing, nothing new in that aspect. And both of you are extremely talented in putting things together. Because I always thought the Splat House, which we hosted for a short time, I think on our channel at one point, and you guys had, you know, a, a really strong uh, go at what you were doing, and it was always it was very different. And um, that's honestly what. I would look for if I did listen to a lot. I mean, I listened to your show for sure. Um, but it was very, it was very different. And, um, you know, I'm excited to see what you, what you two have up your sleeve as far as this. And then, you know, whether this goes on a screencast channel or a splat house, uh, slumber party, slumber party, sleepover, slumber party, sleepover, slumber party, sleepover, slumber party, sleepover, you know, whatever that, you know, evolution. I mean, it is just kind of this big, you know, same family of, of knowing you two for, uh, you know, quite some time now. Um, and then, you know, obviously Mike being a fan, um, and (laughs) when he started, (laughs) when he started messaging us, I'm like, who the (laughs) fuck is this guy? Like, why is he talking? You know, why, why, you know, what, what's the end goal here? And it was honestly, it was just, it was, you know, funny just to see that kind of develop into a, a really great friendship and then meeting uh, you, Sarah, which was, you know, you're lovely yourself. And it was just kind of, a, you know, encompassing everything that you all do is just uh, kind of great. So, yeah, it's I'm happy to be here. And and, uh, you know, it's like sending sending children off to a, a new journey, a new a new school. I don't know. I'm trying to think of something clever to say, and I can't, but uh, let's get this show on the yeah, road. It's coming off a little too sweet there, Brad. I feel like I should brush my teeth. Thank you, baby. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. 
that we that we all kind of existed in a really unique time like when we started our podcasts and coming up together in in a way right and so you've seen like when we were the new kids on the scene right and but we were by no means like new kids to our art form right but we were definitely new kids to the podcast world yeah. and in so many ways like Brad you took us like under your wing you know and helped to amplify us and that was huge and all along the way like you and all of the people that you have mentioned have been so supportive of everything we've done whether that was media res and or whether that was our podcast but then at the same time like understanding again like every other host that's ever been on the screencast that we all have other passions outside of this right and so it's it's really it's really awesome of you to um, continue to support that even when we're just like hey can we come on and talk about our show we don't really have a plan um it's yeah. greatly appreciated anyways there's some more sugar for you mike d <laughs> oh, <laughs> love it yeah and then just whatever you know whatever it goes it's just like i don't know it just seems that we you know there's obviously way 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 bigger podcasts out there and people that have been around for very 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 long time but it, it yeah but way, they also used to work on the screamcast that's <laughs> true that's yeah cool that's, the, that's the funny thing is that we have like you know uh it, with all this stuff like this i mean it is it is a community you know the, the same thing with like the horror community and stuff like that i mean you do have these stuff that like just kind of encompasses um, all these uh, different people, personalities, and venture off to do different things, uh, and w which is great because you know it it, it just feels w w when you meet somebody and they do something different or bigger, um, and you know they, they first were on maybe your platform. I mean, I mean, I think Brian Sauer is a good example of that because you know he was doing write ups and like you know his blog posts on his website. Um, and I told, and I remember telling him, I was like, don't take the blog spot out of it, like create your own website. So people don't think you're a joke, like blog, when you see blog spot, it's just automatically like, kind of like almost a negative thing. And he did that. And then I asked him to be on our show. And then of course he did that for a while. And then he has just the discs and now he's doing great things with the, you know, the pure cinema podcast. So it's just it's 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 kind of nice to see those things happen, um, even though we were always, you know, a small podcast. But I feel that we had a strong following, um, you know, because some of these podcasts get a million, two million listens. We were always steady between like, you know, 10 and 16,000, uh, you know, downloads on certain episodes, you know. Um, and that was, again, like, you know, I think Pat Healy was one of the reasons why that kicked off because we had him on the show and we that's, talked. That's um, that's how I found uh, Screencast was through Pat. Yeah, well, the thing was, is, you know, Pat was on that, on that episode and we covered Halloween 3. And, you know, then he was like on a week later, he was on the movie Crypt with Joe Lynch and Adam Green. And mm -hmm. he talked about our show on that show. And, you know, our with that just him alone having him as a guest and i mean we didn't like we've had big guests on before you, that, you've even had joe lynch on we we talked with joe this year yeah like that, just, that went full circle it just it just kind of like i don't know it, it, like 
I feel like what Sarah says, like it just every everybody that you have in contact with with this show, it seems to elevate one person or another and just continue continues with the positivity. And I, I think that's that's great. But yeah, I mean, it's just like, you know, with, with it, ever since we had Pat Healy on and we were putting out episodes like weekly at that point. Um, that really like just put us kind of like on this mini map, um, which was really nice. Um, and then the people that we had on there, we were able to e even our guests, you know, we had Anya Stanley on at one point and, um, same. <laughs> and, and, and the same thing was we had Stephanie Crawford on as a guest and that turned out to be, you know, a co-host later, later down the line. But anybody that we have, we, we've we tried had Stephanie Crawford on as a guest comedian actor, and she got to write some amazing sketches, too. So, yeah. Yeah. It just it, it just seems to elevate one person right after the other. So even though the screencast like wasn't really big, you know, in, in, in the sense of like the realm of podcasts, uh, but it was big to us you, Joe and Rogan. big in that community. And it really helped a lot of people, I feel um you know he let let people he, like more I, I guess put more eyes on those people and that always felt really really good is that when we had somebody on and you know the listeners would follow them on twitter and then they would just gravitate more and more and it wasn't because like screencast did it the person did it themselves but it was just a, a nice little stepping stone for a lot of people it felt like and I mean, we never asked for credit. We never, we, we, we're not, we're not responsible for anybody's, you know, so-called success or, you know, their blogs or, you know, their websites or whatever they have, but it was always nice to be able to be somewhat part of that. So anyways. You're, you're the same ilk that we are and that what you're talking about with the Screencast was very much like our experience coming up in Impact, which was the theater company that Mike D and I like met working for working with and working in and being a part of for 10 years. And like, that was this kind of launch pad for all of these um, writers in particular, like so many showrunners, I can't even like Steve Yockey and like Joshua Conkle and Roberto um, and- uh, Gary Sacasa. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna mess up. I was like, we're not gonna leave off at Roberto. No, exactly. And like all of these amazing writers that came through that Mike D and I are lucky to like, have relationships with. Um, and I know that when we, when Impact closed, and when our little theater company closed, we were kind of left out in the cold, as it were. And so finding this community, which is what we found through the podcast, which was really like the film weirdo, like <laughs> film weirdo horror people, you know, because we've always like, we, this is why we refer to ourselves as misfit toys. It's like, in many ways, Mike D and I had a home and a family with impact, but we were still like complete and utter weirdos, right? Like even our aesthetic, like everything about Splat House, which is why Splat House became its own thing, was, wasn't, you know, wasn't necessarily for the people. When we started the podcast, like it started to feel like we had found the people, <laughs> you know what I mean? That like, yeah. that understood our aesthetic, that understood our drive toward this kind of be B movie everything, right? Like, and our worship and appreciation for the art form that really is what people think of as being the B movie, right? Like the scrappy people, like the weird choices, the weird tastes, like 
I think like Edward, you know, says the best when you refer when he used the term like weirdies. That's why I use that so frequently, is because I can't think of any other way of putting it. Um, because we're fucking weird. <laughs> and I felt less weird once we started the podcast and we started to develop relationships with people within this community that you're speaking of. Um yeah. and that's awesome. And so like it's our responsibility within that to like always hold and elevate and lift and um those people up because i really do believe and i've always believed this that like we all we all rise and succeed like in as a group and i never <laughs> like mike d and i look at like the the filmmaking like companies of people right like i think that's why i always go back to edwood is because i look at like vampira and tor and like all Thor, sorry. <laughs> Mike D, help me. I hate looking at myself in this. <laughs> I thought when you said Tor, you were talking about the horror movie uh, books that came out under that label. No, but I'm like, but it's just like the whole company of humans that he surrounded right. him, right? And they used over and over and over again. And um, that's what I've always wanted. And um, that's what's important to me. Is just the people that I'm surrounded with and us continuing to work together and to do bigger and badder and crazier things. And some things will really like hook for whatever reason and other things will fall completely flat. And, uh, but we keep moving forward because um, yeah. we believe in the work with. Um, hey, Mike, do you want to talk? Yeah, man. <laughs> I'm just thinking, or, you know, I, I was thinking like, yeah, man, this is so deep. Like how, how connected uh, in the community and support of the community is. Cause I, I, I keep thinking like when I think of the horror uh, community, sometimes I'm just cynical and I think of like a group of people that has bad takes on, uh, you know, Halloween sequels or something. Uh, but now I'm reminded, man, that's like, it, it's like we're friends, you know, and we are supportive of each other and we do follow uh, people places. And now it's been, at least for me personally, it's been, you know, almost a decade of it. So, wow. What a, what a thing to look back on. But um, yeah, the other thing I was thinking was if it weren't for screencast, uh, we wouldn't have had Rocktober blood. So I do uh, thank you for that, Mr. <laughs> Henderson. You're, 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 you're very, uh, you're very welcome. Um, but no, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I'm happy with, uh, you know, what we've done. I've never been, um, you know, embarrassed or sad. Um, the only thing I, I think is a, you know, a little bit that somewhat could have changed at some point was, you know, the more enthusiasm on continuing the show. But I mean, the thing was, it was never a job. It was never, uh, you know, something that I really, really wanted to do. Um, I was just, it was a, uh, another outlet for me to, you know, talk about movies and movies that I like, because you can only do so much online. And I'm not like, you know, I'm on, I'm on Twitter. I tweet maybe once a day, maybe if that more, if I want to talk about something, but you know, I, I really liked um, talking about movies and discussing. I, I, I wrote reviews for a long time and wrote for different websites, but th there's, there's no engagement. And that's what I liked having other people um, 
other weirdies uh, say, you know, their takes on something or them criticize something that I like or I criticize something they like and actually engage and have a discussion. That's what I really use the screencast for. I didn't, I, I never cared about, I never cared if we had one listener or 10,000 listeners. I really just wanted more people on the show so I could bitch about the stuff that they like and then shit on the stuff that I like um, just to talk about it. I mean, essentially that's what it was. It was never about, you know, becoming uh, on a list. I mean, it was always nice when there was a podcast that said, Oh, you should five podcasts you should be listening to, or, you know, anything like that, that felt really good, but that was never the goal. We didn't give a shit. Still don't. Um, you know, it's just, I, I like talking. That's not people. true, Brad. Brad, that's not true. You know, Sean just started the screencast to get free Shout Factory DVDs. <laughs> I mean, that was one of the perks <laughs> of, of, of doing it, but it was just like, uh, you know, I, I don't know. And, and, and with that, it was just, you know, more engagement. And honestly, like it falls in a little line of, you know, me, um, you know, kind of, getting the job with vinegar syndrome i mean oh yeah if, if we weren't if i wasn't reviewing movies for i mean it wasn't that wasn't for the screencast per se it, it developed into that um but who knows if it if i didn't develop into the screencast who knows if i would have made really good friends with everybody there but you know it's it all comes full circle you know and and that's why it's just i don't know it's it's movies and this uh this talking about movies and liking movies is a really huge gateway into this industry. Um, especially when you find people that like the same things you do. Um, it really opens some doors that you don't really maybe expect. Um, and it could take years, but I, I mean, it really is kind of a, it, it's just the community itself um, is really supportive most of the time. I mean, it is clicky at times, but, I think there's more positive than there is negative in this uh, whole whole realm. I mean, just people in general, very accepting community and stuff like that. Let's not lie. You know, we all have clicks we like. No, no. I mean, I, I there's still a lot. I mean, I have clicky things, uh, but it's just uh, it's. But the thing is, is even if you have a, a you know a click or what whatever you call it, it I hate saying that, but. Um, you know, as long as you're accepting to the Gang. other people and you don't turn people away or make fun of them, then yeah, absolutely. But, um, but anyways, what do you want to talk about, Mike, other than sucking each other's dicks? <laughs> oh, well, that, hey, man. Mm. Hard it is to keep a podcast going. Like, well, that's the, that's the thing too, is that I know like Brad, like all the things that you're talking about, like the things that you care about but kind of don't at the same time right like they're not the important factors like it was it was me as I decided to like step back into this after poor Mike D like dragging us along for so long and trying to like keep everything alive and like at the time I was like so unfulfilled by doing the podcast because I was not doing my own work you know what I mean I was like I'm not going to spend my life commenting on work that I love yeah. you know if also then doing my own work but at the same time like in a totally different way like watching 
what Mike D created for us in the Splat House, because I really like had to step back and look at everything and be like, holy shit, thank you. Like it is a small community and it's a great community, but it is somewhat like of an insular community, like very accepting, like once you know people, but Mike D like broke through those barriers for us and got us to where we were. And like up until I, I sucked so many dicks. <laughs> well, and up until I decided that I really wanted to do the slumber party sleepover and like I work in marketing. Okay. <laughs> like That's my job since the pandemic started. Like when I decided to actively take an interest in like what Mike D had done that I had to turn around and be like, holy shit, man, I'm so sorry. And thank you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. us like screaming babies and me just like, going off and being like I don't want it anymore and then coming back and being like holy shit man like what how many podcasters wouldn't give to have had a Mike D at the time and the place they had them to get us in the doors that he got us into I mean like we didn't even it's it was almost like night like I was naive in a fashion because like some of the filmmakers and some of the artists that we got on the Splat House, like at the time, I didn't know much about them. So it didn't even occur to me to be intimidated to reach out to all of these, you know, filmmakers. Um, and then by the time we got into like the people that I really cared about, like Ethan Embry was still. <laughs> <laughs> it, because like, Obsessed, I'm bro. girl who grew up in the 90s and Empire Records was everything to me. And by the time like I was actively talking to Ethan Embry on the phone a couple of times and him asking us to come on and, and to co-host a show with us, I was like, this is my life, you know? And so much of that work was because Mike D dragged <laughs> us kicking, screaming babies along um, because it's fucking work. It's I also blew Ethan Embry to have that part done though. To be he did. Fair. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, like to only tell the truth about the situation. That's what happened. Okay, well, now that I've bogarted the entire conversation and probably rambled and made no sense, um, Mike D, Brad, how do we want to talk about what we're here to talk about? <laughs> I don't know. That's I think, a, you know, honestly, I, honestly, the hard, the hard work's done. Talking about my, you know, uh, emotions with you two is always something I have on my to-do list for the week. And, uh, you know, I'm feeling very fulfilled uh, to check that off tonight. So we could go back to being... Uh, joking assholes with each other tomorrow but um no what what i did want to talk about though was you know talking about the full circle right there were a couple times in our conversation just now where i felt like oh we started here and we went on this journey and we ended up back at a similar spot right it's like uh joseph campbell's um what, what do they call that the uh hero's journey hero's journey yeah no of course yes thank you sarah but um no, but I'm thinking about slumber party sleepover, right? So going back to what we were mentioning at the top of the show, but also going back to like the roots of, at least uh, Sarah and I have discussed this, the roots for our love of this type of cinema comes from, uh, you know, discoveries that were made during what uh, we either call slumber parties or sleepovers. So I don't know, maybe maybe shift to talking about some some art or memories from... The days of your like having people over and watching movies is that yeah, what hell yeah what'd you call that brad what did you call that when you when the boys would come over they'd show up with their like backwards marlins hats and their you know 
They're there with their sleeping bag. Well, I mean, I mean, to be honest with you, I was, I was, uh, I was always have been an outcast in, in a sense of when I was younger. So like, I never really had, um, I would do sleepovers and hang out with friends, but it was a very small group, but they were never into movies. I got into movies with my mom. Um, so my mom would like towards eight, nine o'clock, she would come in the room and we would watch a couple movies a night together. So that was my like journey of watching films. I never, I never really watched movies with friends growing up. I was always known as the movie guy and people made fun of me for it. I never really experienced uh, showing uh, my friends movies. It was very different. Like I had a, I had this one friend who was from France (laughs) and his, he, he was, you know, learning uh english as as time went on and every once in a while he would come over and uh you know he i would show him a movie but for the most part it was nothing substantial it was you know learning look you know watching and discovering movies with my mom which is also its own like it has its own nostalgia factor to it right like did you guys like was it like a friday night thing where you would like go to the i don't know we didn't even have blockbusters where i grew up (laughs) No, yeah, it was a lot of that. I mean, ever since I was like three or four, um, you know, renting movies with my mom and then watching uh, watching them in the evening, uh, we would go to the video store quite a bit, you know, sometimes two to three times a week, um, you know, and then we would visit in Ohio at uh, at times and uh, we would vacation there during the summer. So my mother would uh, my grandmother would take me to the video store. I'd rent a bunch of tapes for like 99 cents and then watch them and, and then return them like you know, a couple days later and just keep doing that. Um, but, but the biggest thing, like as far as like nostalgia and remembering things. Um, yeah. I mean, I would say on the weekends, cause my, you know, my mom worked during the week, obviously, but um, during the weekend, I mean, she would stay up a little bit later, but a big thing for me, this is really weird. Um, I've actually never told anybody this, uh, aside from, um, my wife, um, my wife and, and, and and my mother kind of knows this. So, um, you know, she would do her thing, uh, you know, take her shower or whatever. She'd get on her nightgown, but she always had this, uh, uh, lotion she would put on from Bath and Body Works. It was, uh, the, the, the smell was cucumber melon. Uh, so when I think of movies, sometimes like a lot of stuff like Chopping Mall, Dawn of the Dead, I literally smell that because my mom would come in the room and that's what I would smell. And um, they don't make the lotion anymore, but they make this uh, hand sanitizer spray. So I bought a bunch of them. Uh, so when I watch a movie, I spray my hands with hand sanitizer and I smell it. So it reminds me of growing up and it's just like a very sweet thing. So. Yeah. Well, and I think that those are that those are because again, going back to like the same thing, right? Like a total misfit, um, a total misfit. Um, but those, but those moments of nostalgia, when I, like, I hear all the things you're saying about, and, I get, and it's so funny because my sister had that same, that same bath and body works lotion that you're talking about. So the moment yeah. you was like, Oh yeah, no, like, and I'm allergic to cucumbers and watermelons. So <laughs> <laughs> not a great thing but I smell it and it takes me back to that very place and like so much of what Mike D and I were trying are trying to create and have been working our asses off to create 
in the slumber party sleepover is to take us back to that place of nostalgia. You know, yeah. for me, like we would, uh, we had slumber parties were awful when I was like a really little girl. Cause I was terribly, terribly bullied. Um, and mostly because at that point, like I didn't have my own friends, you know what I mean? They were like my mom's friends, kids, and they were a bunch of little assholes. Um, but for me, like when I eventually began to find like my own little weirdo, weirdy, you know, clicks as a young girl was all around like Halloween, right? Like that's how I started bonding. You know, it was the kids who read the Goosebumps books. It was the kids who, you know, also had those particular kind of macabre interests. So one of the biggest events that we would have all year was every year my mom would throw um, a Halloween party. Um, and it was that we would go to the video store and we would pick out whatever horror movies we wanted. And as I've established many times, like I was a total wuss. So like these horror movies were like House on Haunted Hill. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like House on Haunted Hill, The Raven, Frankenstein, like all of these classic horror movies that I deemed would not be like super, super scary necessarily. But it's how I fell in love with classic horror, right? And I think that during this time where everybody has been so uncomfortable and yet pushed back indoors, right? Like finding a way to create, I don't know, those were the happiest moments of my life, right? Like those Halloween parties and those experiences and watching those movies um, and like getting so high on sugar that you're just like giggling your brains out, you know, getting yelled at by your parents. Like those are the sweetest moments and much like you can smell like the, the, like the Bath and Body Works lotion, you know what I mean? Like I can think of very specific scents that are associated right. with that. Like yeah, absolutely. Cloves and uh, blood oranges and all these things that my mom would make. And that was what we wanted to bring, you know, to the slumber party sleepover. And that's where like all of the aesthetics sprung from. And that's why like in our in our new show, everything takes place in 1999, which, you know, we were significantly older <laughs> by that point, but the aesthetic doesn't go beyond 1999 um, and all the things that we loved when we were kids, right? So like we have snacks in every episode, like we make a macabre tale, which is our version of a mocktail. Um, we, we, wear, we wear jammies and um, yeah, and just try to recreate that feeling um, that I miss, you know what I mean? But for, yeah. but, but on a selfish level for those hours that we're filming it, when I'm not using my super analytical brain to try to figure out like, cause the producer brain never really shuts off. Right. Like I'm sitting here, the producer or the stage manager brain or whatever never really shuts off. But when I can get it to shut off and Mike D and I are filming together doing these ridiculous things like I for a moment can feel that thing coming back in and that's what I want to create for people with this show is I want them to be able to have that experience and obviously very much set for people in our age bracket right yeah. <laughs> like people who every Friday went to the video store with their family like people who remember like when you actually slid in a VHS tape and you wore your pajamas and nobody had cell phones and all of those things um get off my lawn right like and that's what that's create with this show and that's very much it um and there's much more to it you know but um wow there's my ramble go for it mike yeah the framing device of of our show slumber party sleepover is that yes we're 
Sarah and I are quite literally having a slumber party uh, sleepover, but we're also working directly um, under duress for this uh, dystopian government uh, where we need to bring entertainment, uh, you know, to the masses of these these folks in this. Um, uh, how should we say? I don't want to give anything away, but folks in this. Uh, uh, confined location that that we are to that we are to address yeah like it's very much set in a dystopian like the part of the premise is right that why that at least in this community they believe that y2k happened right so obviously we're smashing a bunch of stuff (laughs) into one thing um given given where we have been for the last two years of our life and what we've all been experiencing um so yeah, so it's it's fine, Mike. I think people have gathered that Y2K is a big part of is a big part of our show. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't. No. Nothing else, Mike. Uh, no, uh, I mean, just uh, no, Mike. Yeah, sorry, my. That's okay. No, it's um, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, there, there's there's different things that I like for, for my own personal, like nostalgia was when I, um, before I started working, um, you know, at Blockbuster, I started working when I was like, you know, 16, 17 years old, but for a few summers, like, you know, having between the summers earlier in, um, you know, Ohio doing the movies there, then, you know, when I spent a lot of more summers in Florida, you know, uh, there's certain foods like bagel bites and uh, pizza rolls, fixing those late at night and watching movies in my, uh, you know, in, in Florida, we have a thing called a Florida room, uh, which I guess a lot. I'm listening. What, what is, is that? that? A Florida room. Go, go ahead. Tell us about this. Uh, yeah. Well, a lot of people don't know what it is. It's like, so, so, so we like a, a Florida room is, is, is a room just like, for it's sitting outside but not outside whether you have like mm. full-on glass um you know uh windows uh where the heat just kind of like pillows it it's it's miserable or you have screen like a screened in porch which you know the people call it a screened in porch it's technically a florida room here but uh in our florida room we had a little bit more enclosed there's big windows but we put big blinds up but anyways we had a television back there and it had a sliding glass door. So I was able to kind of enclose myself into our, you know, we had an entertainment center back there and everything. Um, and I still had stuff in my room, but this was, a, you know, a bigger television and stuff. And so I would watch movies back there and then eat junk food. Um, and then when I started working, um, I, I worked across town at a Blockbuster. So uh, I would typically always work like two to 10 or I'm, I'm sorry, it was open to midnight. So it was like more or less like uh, um, like four, four to midnight would, would be like my normal shift. Um, but, you know, I, you know, in the summers, I would just basically stay up until, you know, three, four in the morning after I got off from work. So I would always drive by a Taco Bell. So I, it was like my first experience, like eating Taco Bell wasn't until like my, you know, 16, 17 years old, um, because I drove by and I was like, oh, there's tacos at this fast food place. I'll just go ahead and get them. And I would have like, you know, two movies that I would bring home from Blockbuster and I would 
watch those and eat tacos like uh you know in my room or whatever um so still to this day like i don't really eat fast food all that much but um i'll still get taco bell to watch a movie or something just because it it reminds me of that um that that reminds me too this whole conversation i'm like man we've this has been like a theme in all of our works even our collaborative works because like uh t-h-e-s-o-v-p-o-d that was our whole thing too brad was kind of like it had carrying it, it a food had, yeah it had a more bro-y version of of the slumber party you know idea but yeah because we would do uh snacks on there and we would kind of yeah i mean it's, but i mean i think that goes along with like what sarah was saying is that you know tastes of food smell of smells like they all bring back such you know, vivid memories of, of certain things. And if, and if you pair that with an experience with a movie, like that's, I mean, it's like twofold, uh, you know, especially if you're smelling something, eating something and watching something, then it's threefold. But anyways, like, you know, th- there's a lot of movies that I incorporate the cucumber melon smell with. Like I, I think of the movie and I'm like, Oh, I can smell that now. Or I, I watch it and immediately I just, I just smell it. Um, because it was something that I used to watch maybe a few times with my mother, um, you know, and like, for example, uh, this is just a, a weird one is, um, uh, so, I mean, I guess I could tell a full story. So we went to Ohio one summer and the Mighty Wait, Morphin- this doesn't end with you shitting in a car, does it? Brad? No, 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 no. Okay. So the, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie came out when we were in Ohio um, visiting one year and uh, we didn't really go to the movies when we were visiting because we were spending time with family so the movie like was coming out we were in ohio for a few weeks um so we um we were there uh, it was also the year that mcdonald's was doing like the uh, happy meals and they gave like the new power ranger toys so i was trying to like collect those and everything and um, we got back to town and the movie was out of the theaters at this point. So I never, I, I just didn't see it. And, and by the time it came out on video, I, I'm guessing that I grew up a little fast during that time to where I didn't care about Power Rangers anymore. So when it came out on video, I didn't give a shit because I was on to something else. Um, anyways, this left me for years and years and years. So one night I was uh, working at Blockbuster and we, at the end of the you know night, we'd straighten up the shelves, uh, clean the shelves, you know, cause they would get dusty and stuff. And uh, I just stopped because the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers VHS was like flipped over and I fixed it. And I look at it and I'm like, huh, never watched that movie. Like I, I just remember, like I never saw this movie and like Power Rangers was a big thing for me. And I was like, fuck it. You know, I picked it up, rented it that night. And I got, that was the night that a very first night I got Taco Bell. So I will forever remember the Power Rangers movie with Taco Bell and watching it for the first time. And I felt like a little kid, you know, watching that. Then the movie kind of sucked, but I had one of the best nights of my life, you know, because I got to relive something with my childhood, also having Taco Bell for the first time. Um, I don't think I got sick, which was good, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's just like, I will forever think of 
Mighty Morphin Power Rangers with Taco Bell. But uh, yeah, I mean, but little things like that, that we really don't think about at that time, or even the week after the week after the week after, it's not till like, you know, it's ingrained into our heads that this was such a big thing or a certain smell, a certain taste, a certain food, a certain mood that we were in, a certain event that maybe happened in our life around that time we watched the movie. And that movie was a lot more powerful to us because of the trauma that we faced or the happiness or whatever it may be. And forever, like that movie is associated with that feeling, uh, smell, taste, whatever it may be. And I, I think, I mean, this goes on with a few other things in life, but I think with art it's it's important because we see it maybe differently and we can champion something that maybe isn't as popular or as important to other people that we push that to because i i've met people that like a movie that's not that great but it means so much to them because that was their uncle's favorite movie that they would watch over there or you know i met somebody that um they uh they grew up uh very very poor uh and the only tape they had was my cousin Vinny. so they would talk about this movie all the time growing up and i was like i don't really like that movie but they would always champion it and talk about it and say how great it was because whenever they were bored they would put it on because that's all they had they didn't really have cable they just had this one tape um but there's so many people that have these things whether it's a song a you know a piece of art uh but mainly movies and music it's 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 a very you know uh, big thing especially music you know that there's there's times where uh you know maybe i had a breakup or something and i'm listening to music in my room and i hear this song and i i feel so like passionate about that song at this point and a lot of that, like for, for me is uh, being that I was very much an outcast and uh, bullied a lot. I know Sarah mentioned that earlier. I, I was bullied repeatedly, um, you know, for things that I liked and, and how I looked and stuff like that. And a huge one for me, and people always laugh, is like, you know, the first couple albums by Blink-182 got me through so much of this bullshit and you know got me even through like breakups and stuff um there, there's a song on dude ranch uh called untitled um and that song i felt is some way like written for me at that given point in my life like tom delange knew what i was going through and he fucking wrote that song because every word of that song was my fucking life um so yeah but it goes with all art and it's and it's an amazing feeling and i have no idea oh because of slumber party massacre or slumber party sleepover um the slumber party sleepover aspect of watching you know these movies and having that feeling going to people's houses because i do have uh you know very fond memories of doing slumber parties um but not movie oriented but it was, you know, being able to be invited to those things meant a lot to me because I was such an outcast. Um, so when I was invited to a party or something like that, especially in and this is mainly middle school, high school, I cut my hair and I was on Accutane. So I got rid of my Afro and my 
pimples and I became a different person. So <laughs> I really wasn't picked on at that point. And, you know, I actually had a really, really wonderful um, high school experience. Um, but middle school and grade school was fucking torture for me. Um, yeah. But yeah, when I was invited to those things, I just, I, I loved every minute of it. And I didn't fit in, but, you know, certain people, uh, it was mainly because I was, they brought me along because I was funny. Um, but it was just, uh, you know, <laughs> doing jokes was just my way of like a defense mechanism because I was, a, you know, felt like a joke. You know, I, I felt, you know, bad about how I looked, I, uh, about how I didn't fit in, how I didn't have any friends, but certain people grab you know would gravitate towards me because of that because i was using humor and my pain and stuff like that and people thought it was funny i mean it essentially was i guess but you know i i felt that connection so yeah i i i can connect to a slumber party just in a completely uh different different way different aspect it says a lot about like why we value movies the way that we do too. Cause I had so many things coming up for me when you were speaking. Cause like, again, going back to that, that misfit, right? Like the outcast kid, right? Like for me, um, God, I can go all the way back. Like the first movie that I was completely obsessed with was Robin Hood, the Disney version of Robin Hood. And I didn't have any real friends until I was about six years old. Like I only had imaginary friends and those imaginary friends were Robin Hood and Little John. Right. And so in so many ways, sexy, like, sexy Fox and uh, John Goodman. That's how I always think of them. Yeah, exactly. That those, those, that became my community, right? Like that movie and those characters in that movie meant so much to me and they were literally my community until I was about six years old outside of my family and like even this summer I was thinking about it a lot because summers were really great for me when I was a kid because I didn't have to go to school you know what I mean like I had to see the people that I wanted to see you know the other misfit toys you know the ones that come to my Halloween party like during the summer I only had to be with them. And so I had this really interesting moment this summer because I've always been like a big swimmer. Um, and I'd been swimming all day. And it was a Friday. And I looked over at my friend, Jenny, who's been my friend, like my whole life. And I was like, I have this like really strange urge to go to Arnold's video and like rent two movies. And, you know, like it was just this place that my brain went back to like hot summer day in the pool all day. What is the next step? You know what I mean? And I think of like the way that I've used these things to cope over time, you know, like one of my, after every breakup (laughs) there for a while, like I think all the way through college, like I would buy myself like a box of macaroni and cheese, you know, the Kraft macaroni and cheese. And I'd put on some Molly Ringwald movies (laughs) and I would just be in that world that felt so safe and transported me back to a place where things were simple and I knew how to soothe myself, if that makes sense. And um, it all connects back to those films and having community within those films. And yeah, and the community that continues to grow because of those, because of those interests. Um, yeah, so much of it, yeah. so much. Yeah, I did um, a thing that I did a lot me because me, like you when you said you had imaginary friends uh, I didn't yeah I didn't even have imaginary friends <laughs> but uh w- what I would do um and I did this 
I guess I did this from the time um, maybe I was uh, four, five, six, probably all the way up until like maybe I was 11. Because um, I, I think it was like maybe more Mortal Kombat is the time that I remember that Mortal I. Mortal Kombat! That I, I eventually stopped doing it because I was doing it around that time. So what I would do is um, full on 100% watch the movie and then act out as if I was a character in that movie. Um, I remember like watching Predator and setting up like little hokey traps around um, around my living room and playing the movie and then walking around with like toy guns and, and oh, yeah. saying, you know, saying, saying the lines and, and, and acting it out. Uh, Commando was an, another huge one for me where I would, you know, I'd fix the sandwich. I would literally fix a sandwich to, to do that scene where he sits down with Alyssa Milano and he takes the one bite of a sandwich and then he sees the helicopter off in the distance and he puts a sandwich down slowly and he walks to, you know, the window john matrix yeah so it's like you know with that i remember watching ghostbusters and and i had this like play school table that i would like work on when they're working on the car and i would like slide under it and stuff and uh mortal kombat was a big one because uh we uh we were living in, in in florida at the time um so mostly that stuff was in pennsylvania when we moved to Florida, I saw Mortal Kombat for the first time. I bought the soundtrack and, uh, you know, we had a pool at our house. So I would put on the soundtrack and like do Kung Fu in, in uh, you know, in, in all the you know moves in the actual pool, because obviously I could do it because <laughs> gravity. Uh, but um, yeah, I would play the entire soundtrack and each time a song would come on, I would act out the sequence. Um that was my that yeah, was my getaway in the pool too what is that i said you could look like you're really doing the um the the wire arts you know like the wushia. yeah like i could do the full-on bicycle kick in the pool right you know? exactly <laughs> you know so or do do you know jump in there and do high kicks but that was oh, that yeah. was a huge thing for me you know and it's uh, again i this is a i've never told i've never told that to anybody um so you're welcome um yeah, I, would, yeah. I would do this thing in the pool brad hold on i would have loved to go in the pool with you when we were kids man i bet you would have we would have play fought the same way i would always do these hadoukens where like i would take my hands you know back and then i'd push the water forward but i could also kind of like squeeze it out from between my wrists yeah fuck yeah hadouken and i was like i love doing that in the pool because the pool had like looked blue and it was like oh it looks just like the capcom hadouken because the it's blue as well hey this is cracking me up because like my version of this was annie right like annie was my second favorite movie <laughs> my my poor mother i used to go and i would hang from my curtain rod like from in my closet right like from like the, the closet rod in my and pretend that rooster was trying to like pull my fingers off of the edge of the bridge <laughs> like he's doing in Little Orphan Annie and I would do this over and over and over again like at least weekly when I was a kid um so thankfully my mother was like realized very early that she should you know make that I should be an actress but um I don't I don't know uh, I don't know how normal that behavior was 
Um, well, it sounds like it was pretty normal for people like us. So. Yeah. yeah, the thing the thing I would do after every movie that excited me is I would uh, I would immediately decide how like the story should continue. I would always try to come up with the sequel. And then if I if I wasn't doing that, I was doing like uh, I would try to write like a rap song to go with the movie. <laughs> I remember like being so stressed out one day at like after school care because uh, this teacher wasn't helping me with some words I needed for my uh, Gremlins 2 rap. And then I was I was like I was like sure i was gonna send it to steven spielberg and like by the time it came out on video like we could have a gremlins 2 rap from me but no that never worked out or and, oh the other thing i would always do is i would take graph paper and then i'd try to design video game levels for the movie i'd be like oh how do i turn it into a, a video game but everything was like eight bit side scrolling you know yeah yeah i didn't have we, we didn't have some great game designers to really go deep with the technology that didn't exist. So yeah, everything yeah. was side scroll. I, I did uh, much like your rap song or creating a sequel. My main thing, if I really liked a movie, I would go immediately and buy the soundtrack. So that way oh, I yeah. could, you know, relive the movie um, and, and be in it. Like I could do that too. If I wasn't playing it, you know, on a television and acting it out, I could put on my headphones and act it out. And I, I, I did that for, for, for years of like, you know, creating music videos, thinking I was on stage at a concert, singing the songs to, to all types of things. Um, but again, I, I think it all kind of follows into what, you know, you are, you know, both of you are trying to recreate is this huge uh, fragment of, of, of growing up and uh, kind of the innocence that that we had, whether we were, you know, nine doing sleepovers or we we're 15, you know, uh, or even now. Uh, I mean, I'm sure if I had my friends over and I was like, hey, guys, you want to do a, you know, a sleepover, we would probably buy those anytizers uh, <laughs> or bites and and put on some, you know, uh, action movies or something that made us laugh. I mean, we still kind of do that when we do these. I, I still, you know, for the past, like, you know, yeah, 10 years, I've hosted yeah. marathons and, you know, sometimes we could have up to, I think the last one we had 15 people. And then sometimes we have like five. Um, and in one time, uh, maybe about, I don't know, seven marathons ago, it was literally my, my best guy friends. Uh, no one else could come. And it was literally like four of us watching, you know, these like raunchy comedies together. And uh, we fixed a ton of shitty food that wasn't any good. But did you guys was... watch Out Cold? <laughs> we did watch Out Cold. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we watched Out Cold during that time. Thanks, Mike, for really remembering my details about my life. Um, but... Um, yeah, it, it really like that felt like a like a kind of a slumber party, just hangout Sleepover. thing, you know. And that was dream, right? Is like for our show, is if like people actually took it that way. You know what yeah. I mean? Like if you like, and by the way, Brad, you're fully invited to our slumber party sleepover. sleepover. Yeah, I would I would love to. Party I've never sleepover. really I've never been to one that had incorporated movies. I would I went to a bunch of sleepovers that had to deal with like playing games and 
the dudes wanted to wrestle and i was like yeah i i'm not oh, really you, went, we, you know what we call that when you go to a slumber party where dudes want to wrestle we call that a florida sleepover <laughs> well yeah i mean but it was just like it was just a bunch of like overly like guy things and i was you know um i i, I wanted to I would rather have the slumber party with the girls just because I was like, it was too aggro for me. For like, sure. Arguments started to happen or a fight broke out. I just wanted to like chill out, like, you know, and, um, and that was a, in another thing, that was kind of a cool thing when, um, you know, Willow came into the picture uh, for me and I became like a dad overnight, um, you know, having her, like grow up you know when she was like five six years old you know we would line up her like stuffed animals um you know and give them like these little bowls and like put little bits of popcorn like in each one and you know janice would be at work you know doing a night shift you know for eight hours or whatever and willow and i would do these like little like sleepovers i would tell her to like pick a movie pick two movies and we'd watch them with their stuffed animals and i got to kind of live vicariously through that a tiny bit yeah um yeah, exactly but yeah i mean that's about the extent that i did it but that's more of a personal thing with a connection with your you know daughter right kid or whatever it may be but um yeah but anyways yeah, and I think that I think that another thing that keeps popping into my head is we talk about this nostalgia factor and realizing like how much that has informed like whether we actually spoke about it or not. You know what I mean? Like when this when the subject of doing this kind of a show, like doing our own creature feature, because at the heart of it, that's what it is, right? Like it's a it's a creature feature. Um, and for me, like one of the big like moments that everything changed for me, right? Like I can think about what informs my aesthetic as an artist, as a filmmaker as a designer, as all of those things. And as a performer, like I go back to the first time I saw Elvira, you know what I mean? Like that was a big one for me. And then even before that, Pee Wee, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. Herman was my be all end all. Like there's, <laughs> there's, there's this series of pictures. I, I did a Kodak commercial when I was a little girl and there's a series of, pi of pictures of me with my little balloons and I'm doing the big shoe dance with, with the balloons and that was like my like these were all of like my gateway drugs into like the the weird world that I wish that I could exist in you know what I mean yeah. and like the the elevator pitch for the show for me has always been like if you were to take Wayne's world like very specifically like the SNL sketch right like public access in the basement you're to mix it with Elvira sprinkle in a little bit of Pee Wee's Playhouse and then um, occasionally some Beekman's world, like for whatever reason, that's another, like one of those shows for me when I was a little kid that was so like over the top and magical and filled with wonderment. Um, and I think of like how that, those, those things and those people and, and those creative energies, like seeped into everything, right? If you look at the aesthetic of everything Splathouse has ever done, you can see Pee Wee sneezed all over it. You can see... Yeah. You can see Elvira everywhere. You can see all of those things um, that I saw as wonderment in the world. Because I because I hear a lot of that coming from all of us. Like we lived in a world that was not magnificent <laughs> enough for us, um, and so we continually tried to create it. And like, why do we become 
and for me, I know that's part of the reason I became an artist, I became a theater maker, is because I realized I could create those worlds and I could create them not just for myself, but I could create them for other people. And I could allow people, because it's not about escapism necessarily. Like I know that some of the early things I was talking about were definitely escapism, right? Like yeah. there's a yeah. real trauma, you know, into those things, but that I can, I can make the world different for people. I can make the world shine more. I can make it neon. I can make it bright and I can make it joyful. Um, and at the root of everything that we're doing with slumber party sleepover, it's fucking joyful. Like I sit here and I like Mike D and I have this whole thing. The one bad review we have for the podcast is about the two of us laughing too much. <laughs> Some fucking troll is like, Hey, you guys, if you like podcasts that are overproduced and people laugh too much, then maybe you'd like this. We're like, yeah, cool guy. Thanks. But I watched like the clips of us, like as we're doing this thing, feeling the joy, doing the thing that we really want to be doing and how that like radiates out. Like, you know, editing's a chore. Editing's a fucking chore. <laughs> like, I'm, we get off the phone tonight. I'm still going to spend like another four hours trying to finalize the pilot. But when there's joy radiating through it like it makes it so much easier and I'm hoping that like that this sounds so like woo woo like whatever but I'm hoping like it is with every project that we've ever worked on that we can help people to like feel a bit of that fucking joy you know what I mean like transport them in the way that we're talking about with like all of this nostalgia but also to just like fucking release because everybody needs a release right now like everybody needs it and uh that's our tagline too is fucking release feel the fucking joy uh, mandated fun it's true fucking late 30s mike d's about to be 40 Jesus, sarah <laughs> god damn do whatever damn, mike about to be 40 right? yeah. so old yeah but, no uh, i mean yeah what, what you were saying about creating because that's the whole reason why i wanted to become you know, a filmmaker myself and, and when I started writing scripts and everything is that a, a big part of that was uh, recreating because usually when I pitch uh, an idea or a script that I had to somebody, I describe it as a party movie because that's the movies that I really liked as, as watching is like something you could watch at a slumber party I was never invited to to watch but you know movies that I felt connected to you know whether it's Ghostbusters Gremlins Monster Squad you know Commando um, those things like the one-liners the feelings that it made you feel at that given time um, like those those films that you could act that I, that I was acting with is that's what I wanted to create. And I still do like, you know, I, I love a good story, but I'm not going to fucking write something like the matrix. You know, I'm going to write something that's quotable, something that, you know, uh, you would cosplay in something that, you know, you'd laugh with and, you know, want to be part of whatever's going on in the screen. Like you mentioned empire records, you know, that's the movie that made me want to work at a fucking video store or a record store. You know, I was, I was like, I want to do that. And when I started working at, um, I worked at a video store and a record store at two different times. Um, that's the type of shit, you know, I mean, it wasn't as crazy like Rex Manning Day, but I mean, we would still have a lot of fun, put put on music that we wanted to listen to, put on a movie we want to listen to, but that, that, that really like 
pushed me to do, um, to, to want to have that job. Um, because I wanted to live in that moment. I wanted to be that clerk. Um, and I got to do that. And, and that was a lot of fun. And still, even though what I'm doing today is, is amazing and I'm living out my dream, nothing will ever touch being a clerk at Blockbuster. Cause it's literally the best, best years of my life. Um, but, Congratulations, uh, congratulations. But congratulations, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I appreciate it. Thank you. But yeah, I mean, it's just like, you know, just 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 doing what you love and and creating, like you said, creating something that um, people can, uh, uh, you know, emotionally uh, connect to. Uh, this is completely off topic, but um, I was listening to some music with my my friends. We were just, you know, going back to stuff we listened to, like in, you know, 97, 98, when music was really, really good. Uh, that's a joke um but papa roach last resort came on and my buddy started laughing and, suffocation no breathing right and okay. and i i remember um because they were joking around about how goofy papa roach was and i was like i don't i was like i understand that we laugh at this stuff but i was like listen to the lyrics of this song and listen to the pain. I was like, I remember watching on MTV, someone said to Papa Roach, your song saved my life. And I was like, man, that really means something. Like that, those guys wrote that song. They become this, you know, funny now, new metal band that, you know, made, you know, quote unquote, bad music. Uh, <laughs> but what they did probably saved someone's life from, you know, committing suicide. Um which their whole entire career can be based on that one moment of saving that person's life. And everything is meant like everything's okay at that point. Like what more do you have to do? Nothing's all right. <laughs> Every, wait, I was just trying to think of the lyrics, but I can't, I can't think of them. <laughs> but, um, but you know, just doing that in anything you create, you know, whether, you know, and that's what, that's why art's so important because like I was saying to kind of piggyback off what I was saying earlier is that, you know, that time frame that you're in, uh, that breakup, um, that divorce, that, you know, death in your family, listening to that song, watching that movie could literally lift you up and put you on a different plateau uh, then, you know, sinking at the bottom, uh, what, no matter what it might be, you know, a song that prevents you from, you know, doing something harmful to yourself or, you know, getting you out of the uh, funk that you're in, whether right. it's minor or major. Um, and, and that's kind of a, a, a beautiful thing about art and why it's so, and that's why I said, it's always like, you know, I shit on things all the time, but it's very subjective. Like, you know, a, a, a shitty kid rock song may have made someone a CEO of a company. I don't fucking know. You know, it's just like you, you don't know how these songs and music and art right. affect people in different ways. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, and again, kind of rallies on the fact that having these discussions about these movies was what kind of created the screencast to begin with is how do these movies make you make, make us feel. And, you know, they have that, uh, um, they have that, um, you know, show now, I guess, on Netflix, the movies that made us. 
And that's a very important thing is, but that more or less follows in the careers of those people that, you know, had careers after this maybe small movie that they did. But, you know, I, I think that kind of applies to everybody. And, you know, I think that a lot of the ways that we feel um, the memories that we have can be traced back to art. So. Well, and that's it. It's like, I can yeah, certainly shaped by it. Yeah. Yeah. That there are so many people that can call back to something, like you said, whether it's a song or whether it's a movie or whether it's, I, those are the two major ones that I can think of, but, or book, whatever, right? Yeah, they had, book too. Yeah, absolutely. Like, especially those of us who are depressives gave us the aha fucking moment that literally changed or saved our lives. You know what I mean? And yeah. that's, the, or, and that's the power of art. Um, like for me, and then it goes back to like what you were saying about like Papa Roach, like I don't like Papa Roach, but it's the kind of movies that like we, that we do commentary on, right? Um, are the movies, it always drives me crazy when somebody says this is one of the 10 worst movies ever fucking made, or this is the yeah. worst movie. And, and I think that's why I've like hung so much of my career on those movies. Cause I'm like, no motherfucker, you don't understand the creativity that went yeah. into making you know what I mean? Like the creation of these real human beings that are making a fucking. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Al Adamson. Woo -woo. Uh, and when I think <laughs> my biggest congratulations like to you with the whole vinegar syndrome thing is that right. Is because that, that is something that vinegar syndrome very much represents. And it's part of what they do, right. Is they, they put out those movies that were like undercut by people as being this, that, or the other thing and giving them a new life. And I, every time Mike D shows me like one of the vinegar syndrome boxes and how you literally gave it like a new life and a new skin. And there's so much love and detail that's put into these, just, just the box itself, right? Like just the yeah. new art that's given to it gives it like this new life that it fucking deserves and that's it too is like people you know we've i think we've all talked about this at some point but like people thinking that their opinions are the truth oh um, yeah no big time absolutely and that's it it's like i dislike many things i dislike the beatles but i know that they were brilliant they're just not for me so like yeah. if we could just that phrase over and over again just not for me and that's how i feel about Led so much Zeppelin. that 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 we do if you don't like it it's just not for you <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah there's people before um and uh i think like yeah i was at a and it was a movie that i didn't that i didn't didn't like it was a uh, space girls are evil it was neil gaiman and john cameron mitchell uh did a did a version of neil gaiman's you know graphic novel together and I really didn't like it. And John Cameron Mitchell said at the end of it, he's like, well, if you didn't like it, it's not for you. And it never occurred to me that it was anything but. And so when people yeah. are like, nah. And I think, I mean, that, that's part of the reason Mike D and I aren't on Twitter anymore. Because <laughs> there's a lot of people on the internet that like to say a lot of things as if they were fucking experts. Um, but I really value what you said about like the Papa Roach thing, right? Because yeah. like- could all make fun of it as much as we fucking want you know right. and i you know i sing in a punk band so i'm around a bunch of snobby bastards no offense y'all are fucking snobby bastards a lot of the fucking time that have a lot of opinions about a lot of music and it's one thing to be 
it's another thing to be dismissive and a dick. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. No, I'm, I'm the same way. I mean, I'm glad you said that about the Beatles because I felt that way for years. <laughs> it's like, I understand the importance of the Beatles. I just, you know, it's not my not my thing. You know, I, I but again, you know, it's just, you know, with with, with that, uh, it's just that, in which what you're saying is, and to piggyback off that is that you do have those people that don't like something, so it sucks. I'm never in a million years going to say the Beatles suck. They're they one of the best bands in the, you know, most creative band. Oh. They were just at the right time, I think. But there's a lot of things that go in with the Beatles that I'm never going to say that the Beatles suck. You know, I save that for the Eagles. But, um, you know, the Eagles do suck, bro. <laughs> the Eagles fucking blow. I hate the Eagles quite a bit, but anyway, I hate the fucking Eagles and Steve Miller band. <laughs> but again, you know, that, that music has uh, inspired countless artists, uh, you know, to pick them up off their feet, you know, to, to inspire them to write music when they could have been, you know, dead in a gutter somewhere, um, you know, and it's just, and it creates so much. I mean, even like, you know, Rob Zombie gives a lot of his like creativity from the Beatles. It's one of his like favorite bands, you know, it's like, you don't know how this music affects somebody else. You don't know how this movie has has this draw to somebody that maybe made them more creative or put them in a position to where they are now. Um, you know, that could be said, said for me too, is, is, is watching these, uh, you know, quote unquote shitty movies growing up. Um, you know, these movies that I really cherish that I loved watching with my mother um, that I find different um, and, and creative and, it takes it takes a lot to make a movie, even if it is shitty. Uh, you know, you have to conjure up that idea. You have to get people motivated to believe in your idea. You have to uh, get money to support your idea. Get money. Then you have to make it. <laughs> then you have to uh, edit it. You have to distribute it. Then you have to get people to watch it. Every like, movie, every movie is a, a miracle. And I yeah, think no, every movie, yeah, every movie is a miracle. So, you know, yeah. it's it, in what you said is like it's easy to be on you know social media or whatever and watch one of uh, Vinegar Syndrome's titles or Severin or whoever puts it out, any title, and watch it for the first time and be like, yeah, it's a shitty movie. Well, there's a lot of history with that movie. You know, it's it's it. We're, we're, no Let no tell you about the sinful dwarf madam you know arrow severin vinegar syndrome you know fun city uh you know saturn's core a, a, any of the agfa any of these labels we're not picking Utopia. these movies out of a fucking hat you know it's not like oh throw a fucking you know dart at you know to see what we can release next no, none of those movies are released like that. They're all they're all form. They're all from some sort of love from one of us that have really liked the movie and then want to uh, bring it back to the public eye and again live vicariously through people watching it for the first time. Because I love that. That's the whole reason I run these fucking marathons for people for the past ten years. I've seen all the goddamn movies. I want to watch them with people so I can experience watching it because that's the closest you're going to watch it again for the first time because you can't watch something again 
for the first time unless you've been like men in black or something but like you know you can't sit down and watch something for the first time again and i i hate that and i've never been one of those people to be like oh you haven't seen this are you some sort of fucking loser no i envy that i'm like god damn i wish i could be in your position to watch this movie for the first time again but you know having a kid uh, watching movies with friends for the, you know, for them seeing it for the first time, I get to kind of sort of do that because I'm, you know, the creep that's not watching the movie. I'm watching you and your reaction the entire time to see if you're laughing. You're creep watching I think them. you should laugh yeah. or whatever. It's like I feel like I'm waiting. I'm waiting for my niece to be old enough to watch Dirty Dancing with her for the first time. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's the, the movie that I loved because my cool older sister loved it so much, you know? And so I took it from her generation, from like the pure generation Xers, and I trickled it down into like these old millennials, you know what I mean? And like, I'm waiting to be able to trickle it down to the next generation be like, take Dirty Dancing and go forth. She'll have the time of her life. It's, um, but it's, but it's, 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 again, it's about that, like sharing the magic and like talking about, um, vinegar syndrome stuff like I just kept having like six six string samurai like pop back into my head right like that's something that could have easily been lost to time at some point you know in the not too distant future and because vinegar syndrome gave it like a new burst of life you know it's it's out there and in a bigger badder way and I remember how excited I was when I found out that you guys were going to be releasing that like that made me so happy because again, there's a filmmaker who fucking deserves it. Like yeah. that is a that is a piece of fucking art that he poured his soul into. Lance Moongia like a motherfucker. Yeah, and like when I see that on bad movie lists, I'm like, what? Like what the actual fuck? <laughs> yeah, that movie. Like when when we were you know doing it, and I you were talking even Mike about you know getting Lance's information and and talking about the ownership of the movie, like way back when um, I was under the impression that everybody loved six string samurai, but man, I was, I was wrong. I, I, I don't like, honestly, I don't know of anything recent that we put out that has divided an audience so much than six string samurai. And it, it was very confusing to me because I mean, like it, it felt, I mean, it is, it, it's, it's a movie made by nerds uh, for nerds. And it just feels like everybody that actually likes a movie should like six string samurai, but it's not the case. I've just never understood it, but you know, to each his own, like some people, some people hate it. It's, it really is one of those love or hate movies. And it's, and I, I don't know why everything falls on that, you know, cause I, I I'm like, I look at things that we've released and I'm like, I really dislike that movie. Like rad. I don't like rad at all, (laughs) but people love rad. And it's like, people lose their minds for that. Dude, people lose their minds over rad. And then I'm like, Oh, here we go. This is going to show. And I can't find anybody that dislikes the movie, you know? And it's like, Maybe I I don't know. It's it's just so it's just so odd. But again, that's that's the love of you know, and 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 people take it way too personally when you like something or you dislike something. And I've over the years, especially the past couple of years, I've been really uh, trying to be more um, 
uh, cautious and acknowledging how people feel about certain things. Cause I've always been an asshole to, you know, be like, Oh, you like Dave Matthews? Oh, you suck. You know, (laughs) you know, and it's just like, you know, those types that I've given people a hard time for years for like in Dave Matthews. But um, again, like I'm like Dave Matthews is literally probably one of the best guitarists on the planet, but I fucking can't stand his music. (laughs) You know, Dave Matthews band, like, right. Like I really can't stand it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just like, you know, watching him play is, is incredible, but I just can't stand his fucking music. Um, but anyways, what, what I'm saying is that, you know, it's, it's, it's so, it's, it's so beautiful in a way that people can look at something that you dislike and they can find joy in it, or it could have, and that's another thing. And I guess what I'm trying to sum up here is that you don't know how a movie or a, or, or a song has affected somebody in the way it has, because you may listen to that song and be like, that song fucking sucks, but that song may have saved someone's life, you know, yeah. and, 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 you know, the song may be poorly put together or bad lyrics, but who knows how that person, um, you know, felt about it. Cause I had something recently, um, last year, actually, I, again, I haven't told many people this, but I went through a little bit of a, you know, a bad moment in my life in 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 like november december of last year uh everything was going great for me but i just was in this like funk that i couldn't shake and um you know i was uh i guess i had depression which i never had in my entire life or never acknowledged that i was uh you know affected by it um but i was really down in the dumps one night and i came across uh Mort Garson, which um, a lot of people apparently don't know this dude. Uh, do either of you know who Mort Garson is? No. No. Okay. Yeah, exactly. But anyways, it's very odd. So anyways, I, I came across this um, um, this song, this, this album. It was, uh, the, the band was called Mother Earth. And um the, the, the album was called Plantasia, which a few people know about the album Plantasia. Um, but anyways, this whole album Plantasia was fronted by this guy, Mort Garson. And I was listening to this music and I was like, it, it sounded, it was from, you know, the seventies. Um, but it sounded like a uh, kind of an adventure, like a kid's adventure. Like the, the music is made for plants um, that's the whole basis of the album is that this music is supposed to help plants grow. Um, and then I, it's like a, it's like baby Mozart, but music, but for plants. Yeah. And, and okay. I was really intrigued by it. And then I went down this huge rabbit hole of this guy who created this band, um, you know, in his side projects and it all lined up to all these different bands and all these different songs and albums, uh, led to this guy, Mort Garson. Um, in, in a way it, it really pulled me, you know, I, I don't want to go to the extremes of saying saved me. Um, but I felt it really, my attention to, um, everything really gravitated towards that. Like I put my full intention into figuring out who this person was, because 
when I would Google his name or try to research more, there's, there's no books on him. Um, there's no documentaries. There's really nothing about this guy. And uh, slowly I found out he was the, basically the highest paid musician in the 60s and 70s. Uh, he was making millions of dollars off of like seven, seven second like jingles for commercials. Uh, this guy scored the, the live moon landing um, that Stanley Kubrick filmed. Um, <laughs> but uh, he, 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 he wrote songs for, he wrote two entire albums for Doris Day. He wrote numerous songs for uh, Glenn Campbell. Um, he he uh, scored Son of the Blob. The drugs were um, strong back then, man. Huh? I said the drugs were really strong. And back that's then. the thing. It's just this this older Jewish guy. Uh, then he had this like really dark arts side to him. He was uh, he had a band like called Alistair Lucifer. Crowley. He had a band called Ataraxia. He had um, uh, I can't find any connection to this but there's this uh, satanic album called grant moros uh rearrange those letters it spells mort garson um and i've been slowly like discovering this stuff i became like real i mean you know how i am like i like i obsess over something and i've been obsessing over his career and his life and his music for uh i don't know 10 months now trying to get down to every single thing this guy has ever done and touched because what I'm finding out is that he never really wanted credit for anything. He never really had the motivation to become a household name. Um, hence why he kept changing his, his, his name all the time. All, all these different bands he was created. It's just him. And he is one album right after the other of just being a solo. He, he created 12 albums, uh, each one, each, each, uh, the 12 albums, each album is based off a, uh, a horoscope, a, a sign. He, he dedicated a whole album with this astrology thing. He was in a band called the Zodiac. Um, it's just, he, he had a huge orchestra. It's just, it like goes down the line of so many amazing and creative things that this guy did. Um, but again, I mentioned this name to somebody. They have no idea who he is, but they have no idea how this guy affected me. Hence why I have been trying to change how I say something about maybe Dave Matthews or the, or the Beatles or the Eagles, because I don't know how those people were affected by that when this one guy who, who had this massive, massive, massive career that kind of goes unnoticed um is 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 create you know helped help me discover who who what i wanted or what i needed um which is very important um and that's why i'm like trying to make this uh you know documentary about him because i i feel like it's i i owe it uh to him in a way because I, it's, it's so weird when you look up anything on the internet you have countless articles countless you know, information of, of people, of, of people you, like one-offs that, you know, either committed a crime or, you know, maybe did one cool thing. This guy did numerous cool things and there's fucking diddly squat about him. Um, but he did a lot for me, it seems. Um, but anyways, yeah, this is my plug to listen to 
the instrumental music of Mark Carson. <laughs> Interact, right? What is that? Anaraxis is the name of the band. Uh, yeah, he had a band called Ataraxia. Ataraxia. Yeah, Ataraxia. Um, Lucifer was one of his bands. Grant Moros, uh, Mother Earth. Um, you know, Ater- are you familiar? Mike, you may know this name because you're into weird shit. Do you know Mel Torme? Yeah. So uh, Mel Torme, uh, his music career is because of Mort Garson. Because when he was going from television and everything, he wanted to do music. So Mel Torme's first album is a cover album, and that's Mort Garson's idea. And he he produced that entire album. That's that's interesting to know, because in my mind, Mel Torme was always one of those people that was just famous for being themselves. You know, like growing up, Mel Torme would always just appear as Mel Torme, no matter the movie or the show. Kind of like... Morgan. So, yeah, his 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 whole career of, of, of uh, you know, basically when they wanted to make him, you know, with a singer, uh, they went to him. It went to Mort Garson. And, and he he he's wow. Mort Garson is connected to so many different singers of writing music for them. And, uh, you know, even if it's a song, he was he was a hit maker, basically. Um, and that's what he did. And he didn't take any credit for it. He just took a lot of fucking money. That's so funny that you were going down that rabbit hole uh, last November, December, because I was going down uh, a rabbit hole during that time, too. Well, several rabbit holes <laughs> for similar reasons, as you stated. But um, but one of the ones I went down was watching documentaries on session players, you know, uh, during the, the 60s and like working with in particular it was mostly around people who had worked with brian wilson but um but yeah there's so many talented uh musicians that were kind of like the forrest gumps of the time just like shaking hands with the biggest people in the world and like you know just creating little pockets of magic that just turned into iconic movements and it is wild just to know uh yeah scrappy musicians that just wanted to play. And, you know, speaking of such, uh, Ms. Quake and I, Doll and I are very much the same. We are scrappy uh, uh, theater kids that just want to play. And we hope everyone comes out to a <laughs> slumber party sleepover when we, uh, when we drop on Sunday. Um, that, that, and, and that's not to say that we have long form conversations like this on, on nostalgia, but uh, the aesthetic of the world and the you know the the comedy we created is is definitely uh what we would want to watch at a a slumber party sleepover ourselves right and to like yeah i don't know to create the escape the escape or the wonderment or like whatever yeah and celebrate the holy of holies (laughs) for all of us horror people here the holy of holies and that i mean that's part of it too is like part of the reason we decided to launch it on Halloween, as opposed to trying to launch it October 1st for the Halloween season, is that I know for me, (laughs) like the day after Halloween is over and everything starts shifting, I get sad. And I'm like, I just want more Halloween. Um, Yeah. Ready. Um, But that's of course also partially because I'm always working my butt off all of October, um, putting on Halloween for other people. so I'm hoping this also like provides that for other people. I know it's providing it for me over here in the editing room, 
Um, that's one yeah. of the big hopes. Anyway, yeah, I think a lot, a lot of our conversations tonight, and obviously, I mean, you you all know what you're doing with the slumber party uh, sleepover stuff. But I, I mean, I, I would think being that it's based on something that you do as a young you a young person a lot of these conversations we've had has to deal with how we became the people we are today oh, sure. and how yeah. everything is is still is still affecting us uh, how you know i'm 36 years old and um you know when i turned 36 i discovered a musician that really uh, that one song that i heard at that given time um has has made a path for me to go in a different direction with a side project of creating a documentary like if i never heard that song if i never slipped into that you know mindset of 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 sadness or harm whatever i was going through at that time i would have never discovered that song i would have never uh you know went on that path and i in in that's my own journey everybody has a situation like that not to that extreme of making a documentary but having something that uh, affects you in such a way that it does uh, change somewhat the path of your life or help you discover something and um, again that's just the beauty about art is is creating those um, those paths those um, you know uh, slipping into like you know forgetting who you are for a little bit for forgetting uh you know uh, watching a movie after because this same thing is after my, my dad uh he passed away in in um in july uh july 2nd uh one of the first things i did when i got home is i i watched movies like i i left the hospital i came home i ate i went to sleep I woke up and I was like, oh, I'll watch a movie, you know, like, what am, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, what do you do at that point? You know, I feel like I should do something, but what the fuck am I supposed to do? What am I going to do? Um, I will use this as my escape because, you know, it's okay to watch a movie and laugh, mm-hmm. you know, during that time. Um, I don't want to sit around and fucking cry. I don't want to, you know, I, I mean, I, I, there is time to do that, but you know, what are you going to do that for the next fucking month? You know? So th- there's different variables that, that, that play into everybody. And is, some people may want to spend a month crying. You know, someone may want to go work out, you know, work out furiously for eight hours a day and, and get your mind, whatever it takes you know, um, so uh, I mean, exercise goes into that too. But you know, art is that escape, and able to to um, you know feel something and whatever. And you know, maybe that's what you are trying to create is that escapism. Um, you know, for 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 people, which is great. You know, it's the whole thing of podcasts too. You know, uh, people escape from from that wretched drive that they have to make. Uh, in the morning to work or that shitty job that they have that they can listen to podcasts and, you know, have that escapism to where they're not, you know, cause jobs can create depression, you know, jobs can create people to, you know, be sad. Uh, so, you know, music 
and podcast and audiobooks um you know can take you away from from that so all we're i mean i guess essentially all we're doing is we're trying to create you know outlets of this escapism for people um even if it is just one person you know better, right? like honestly it's in our own way for me it's about creating a better world yeah i feel mm-hmm. one of the powerful comments that i've heard over and over again about podcasts and not just our podcast but it hit me personally when somebody said it to us was that they felt like they were in the room with their friends yeah. and show helped them get through a bad time because they felt like they could escape to the room with us and not like they were just sitting in the corner, like some weirdo listening, but like that we were their friends and they could be in that room and that they could escape. And that was fucking powerful. You know, yeah. when does that and I get it. I get it. And there's something, there's something unique about the podcast world in that. I think personally, like you get to escape with your friends probably because it's like less plotted out and whatnot. Um, But the same is true of like fiction. If you need to escape further, (laughs) get out of your actual, out of your actual fucking world. Um, And we all connect to characters in different ways as part of that escapism. Right. Like I do think, that to me, because I'm, because I am over here being the witchy, crazy girl that I am. And I believe that like art is a ritual and that you're participating in it when you're consuming it or you're creating it. Like you're still participating in it in some capacity and it helps to like help you to continue to feel connected. Um, Cause yeah, I had a very similar thing after my dad died. <laughs> like I, watch so much Twin Peaks, like the first episode over and over and over again. And I don't know why, um, but it made me feel connected and yeah. grounded, you know, um, when I wanted to just run away. And like you said, like, that's the power of art. Um, and I do feel like, for, and I, I, cause I, maybe I'm projecting this, but I do feel like so much of it is about feeling connected um, in your escape. And so, yeah, that's what we want to try to create for people on a less serious note. Um, yeah. You guys are really shrinking heads tonight, man. I feel like I'm on the couch getting analyzed <laughs> over here. This is what happens when we don't frame something. Um, yeah, like um, slumber, Splathouse Slumber Party Sleepover starts Halloween. I'm going to drop that episode at midnight. You can find it on um, the Splathouse Productions YouTube. Um, if you don't already follow us on all the social medias, you can find us at Splathouse Productions on all the social medias. And there'll be links all over the place because I'm marketing my butt off. Um, yeah, you like it. Tell your friends. The biggest thing you can do always is subscribe to any of these things, any of these independent whatevers, whether it's a podcast or whether it's our show or it's somebody else's show. Um, I know people feel douchey about like smash that subscribe button but the truth is that's how independent artists that helps us to make our living and uh we appreciate it immensely and there you go it's my little pitch yeah no i mean that's that's what it is and it's like uh you know a big thing that i've i've noticed through the years and that now these these two guys have created an empire based off uh something small that they started like 10 years ago but like good mythical morning with rhett and link 
like those guys started off like shooting at a small, like basically at a table in uh, in a side room. And now they have a, a huge studio and uh, you know, millions and millions and millions of subscribers and they make a living doing, doing what they like, you know, it's just, yeah, it's all about supporting. I mean, even any small artists, you know, their first album, you know, uh, subscribing to their channel, listening to music on Spotify, you know, doing anything on Bandcamp, it it goes it goes a long way, you know. Um, it just takes a few people in order for that person to keep making what they want to do, because um, it's, it's essentially what it takes is just the one person liking what you're doing, and that keeps can that can keep you motivated. Um, you know, it's not about so much being on top. It's hard to get on top, you know, but you know, having that hard audience that, that is there every week or every album or every movie, that's, you know, that's the most you can ask for as an artist is having that, you know, small following. Yeah. And we do. And like, we, we value those people. Like we've rattled some of them off last night, like uh, yesterday on our podcast. Like, I don't forget those people. Um, Those people are invaluable to me. Um, yeah, like I just go back to like Joe. <laughs> I go back to Joe Gwynn, who was like a, was a Twitter friend of ours and like an avid like listener of the show, and um, or like Wolverine Factor, who I don't know his real name. Like sending us presents, sending us cards, like all in like the first year, you know. Um, just because what we did fucking meant something to him, um, and we appreciate it right the fuck back because it's hard <laughs> because what we're doing is hard, you know, because everybody's insecure no matter what they think. I mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty jaded. I've been doing this my whole life, but like, you know, it's nice when you feel something genuine from another human being. Um, and that's, what's kind of nice about being in this realm where things are still, you know, small to medium scale is that we have the ability to actually be truly connected with people that find connection in what we're doing. Um, and I love that. I love that. Um, it's why I do black box theater. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's why I stopped doing big shows. It's why like I sing in a punk band and I had some woman come up to me at a show and be like, didn't you rather be in an arena? And I'm like, no girl, like I want to be in a divey punk bar for the rest of my fucking life. Cause I want to be doing this kind of stuff with these people. And yeah. for people. you know what I mean? So we love you, splatters. We do. <laughs> Screamcast. <laughs> They're our friends for sure. I love oh, I love Screamcast. They're my best friends. Oh yeah. They're your best friends, Mike D. Are they your fucking best friends? Yeah, Mike. Sarah, you're my family. Uh, <laughs> no, seriously, Brad. Thank you so much for doing this for us. And thank you, Sean Future, for Teddy <laughs> surprise shout out to stephanie crawford returning safely from her trip to la that she sent the uh spider ba- she went to the spider baby house the other night and she texted me a picture of it and sarah and i were just talking about spider baby so it was really funny but shout out to steph um all right brad any final thoughts the great no, little jerk session about uh nostalgia and artistry and love i fucking loved it man i'm feeling no, sweet. I'm, I'm pretty sure uh this is the most personal i've ever got on a uh 
a podcast of any type. No, I, I appreciate public, public, public in general. Yeah. No, it's, it's hard to be vulnerable like that. Um, but I, I did want to say one thing because I, I was thinking about something and and that was, you know, you made the Papa Roach joke and I, I laughed immediately because I actually have a, a history of Papa Roach that's unrelated to this conversation. But it did make me think about what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> Sorry. I've, well, I told the I told the story on uh, the Splat House, I think, where I was at the Grange in Danville, and I got booted out for uh, for making fun of this band that was up there called yeah. Papa Roach, and I was like, "Suck my Papa Roach." It was dumb, like teenage stuff. But then it was funny, like a couple years later when I woke up to them on MTV, and I was like, "Damn it, <laughs> there's no such thing as a coincidence." But but it made me think, though, when when I first uh, chuckled, it made me think uh, about how. Lincoln Park music was never for me, you know, it, and it clearly was never for me because uh, I didn't like it from the first time I heard it. But I kept, you know, it's in pop culture. So I kept having to listen to it over and over again. And then I developed kind of a snarky attitude around it. And I started making fun of, you know, the lyrics and uh, Lincoln Park actually even came to the Best Buy I worked at at the time. So then I started in the back of my mind, I'm getting cynical about uh, you know, these big rock stars and how they let their fans run all over the place. Anyway, and then I'm making fun of them for years and years. I don't really care because I don't like their music, you know? And then, like, Chester, you know, uh, takes his life and people are like, wow, uh, you know, I, I didn't see that coming. And my thought was, oh my God, the thing I was making fun of him was like, you know, this poetry that he would write and it, it sounded like new metal or something, but I wasn't paying attention. Like he was, he was telling us something all those years and we all just assumed something else. And I don't, I don't know it to tie it all together. Art is definitely about its, uh, its intent, but it's also who it, who it's intended for, you know, and, and some things just aren't intended for me, but that doesn't make them that doesn't make them bad or not extremely valuable to, to other people, including the artists themselves. So that, that was a big connection I made. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I can see that. I was kind of the same way. I think, I think that hit me the same way too. Cause when I first heard Lincoln park, I, I, I belly laughed. Um, I was like, this is, this is really, this is really bad. Um, and I, I mean, I, I, I still think Lincoln parks, a, you know, not for me. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I really dislike the music quite a bit, but again, like when we, you know, when Chester Benningfield like took his life and, and you realize that his outlet, what it was the music, um, you know, and, and people probably heard that and they felt that connection to it. And that that's great, you know, and, and that's something, something for them. I find my connection in other things that people may not assume that you know um that i i became obsessed with the music music for plants <laughs> that helped that helped me or whatever so so it, it, it takes all types and you know it was a big thing for me um because i was an outcast um and it sounds like sarah can maybe uh, relate to this is is a big one was was punk music for me growing up like punk music really made me feel like i belonged and when i would listen to that music um you know um i just i i i felt 
something, um, especially Operation Ivy. Um, energy was such a, a huge thing yeah. for me growing up that I don't know what I would have done without um, that album because I, I felt such a connection um, to being kind of like an outcast, but also, you know, kind of saying, well, you know, fuck authority type stuff. And I, I, I was like in between, I like didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know what I wanted to be. I didn't know whether I should follow or lead. Um, and I think energy really helped me like kind of help discover who I was, um, you know, but also it made me feel good because not all their music was about, you know, uh, you know, fuck the government or fuck authority. You know, they had, you know, songs about friendship and, and songs. And Ivy about- and like different kinds of plants. <laughs> and songs about sound systems. Um, but, you know, and then that led into Rancid and, and other shit. And, um, you know, uh, like even Bikini Kill. Bikini Kill was a huge, a huge thing for me. Um, and uh, I didn't know, learn about Bikini Kill until they were on an episode of Roseanne when they were doing that whole. Uh, do you remember that whole storyline? And anyway, I digress. Whatever. Bikini Kill was on Bikini Roseanne. Bikini Kill was in Roseanne? I think so. I think so. Unless. I, hold on. I would have. think I would have remembered that. Or something. Maybe Sandra Bernhard was doing something with them and she was on Roseanne at the time. <laughs> I digress. I'm sorry. Uh, no 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 look, look it up because i'd really like to know because I, I i recently like a couple years ago rewatched roseanne uh with my family and i i, I would have thought i would have remembered that um but yeah i mean a, a, everything with bikini kill even like it was the episode the getaway almost november 14th 1995 bikini kill was on an episode of roseanne i'm not crazy good yes wow <laughs> i'm gonna have to rewatch that episode because i really don't remember that but um, yeah, I mean, discovering Bikini Kill, like maybe, you know, in high school, early 2000s. And then when they turned, you know, in 2000, like two, 2003, they became, you know, La Tigra. And then, you know, Kathleen Hanna did, you know, Julie Ruin. And then, you know, making con- the connection with, with uh, you know, the Beastie Boys, you know, and then having her connection with Nirvana and, you know, like Dave Grohl and just realizing like all this stuff, like, you know, Nirvana, uh, Bikini Kill, and Beastie Boys are all really, really related <laughs> in, in, in right. this thing. And you would have never thought about that. You know, you, it's hard to connect those bands other than the relationships of the people behind them. Um, the Beastie but yeah, Boys I mean, and Billy Madison are really related, too, to, to bring it to the movies, which is well, weird. What is it? Well, it, Tamara Davis, the director of Billy Madison, isn't she married to Mike D.? I'm trying to get us out of this conversation in some way. <laughs> well, I mean, Kathleen Hanna's married to one of the Beastie Boys. No, right, but but not the one that's married to Tamara Davis. I mean, yeah, th- th- that's probably the case. Unless he's married to two... Uh, yeah, anyway. No, I don't think yeah. Kathleen would have that. But anyways... <laughs> um, the, 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 the whole point of that was, you know, is, is finding that music and, and, and finding what, w- whatever it is helpful. And, you know, mine was punk music and metal. Uh, that was my, my two outlets. And that's what I still, even today, um, gravitate more toward. But again, a lot of that, you know, the past like 10 years has really, do- you know, 
because of the indie community that punk and metal created really like funneled over to indie music. And that's another thing that I gravitate towards is, is, is uh, these, you know, indie artists. And, and we say indie now as like a genre, um, but really it's just these people creating these, you know, unique sounds and, you know, whether it's dark wave or, or whatever it may be, but it still has like these huge punk influences that, you know, like uh, you listen to these little bands that acoustic bands, but, the roots are there with, with punk music. And, and, and therefore, I guess that's where I find the connection. Right. But anyways, I mean, people may feel that with new metal or, uh, you know, hardcore or, 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 or rap or jazz. <laughs> whatever, I mean, certainly whatever for me, clearly, cause like half of my creative career is, you know, being in a punk band, you know? So it's like, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was all of those things again, a misfit, misfit thing, right? Like finding a community where at its best, at its worst, it's not that at its worst, it's the, it's stuck up and at its best and at the true roots of like punk, like the philosophy of punk, like it's this beautiful, like everything is welcome, embracing fucking world, um, but also believes in like shattering things. Um, so I think yeah. that's part of the magical, the kind of wonderment I look for, right? Like I've always like associated myself more with like a puckish kind of personality, if that makes sense. Right. Where it's like break the fucking constructs of the universe. Um, but also there's like, I don't know, like it is, but it's about the sound too, right? It's about, it's about the sound that shatters everything. And um Anyways, yes, there's definitely a connection there, Brad Henderson. I agree with you. I agree with you. It's why I listen to it. It's why I make it because it's it's all of those things again. It's yeah. all of them in a really in a really palpable in a really palpable way. And you're right. Like for me, it was David Bowie that then took me to punk music. It was finding that misfit <laughs> was a fucking bright, bright glowing star that then took me to Iggy. That then took me into into all of it. And it's mm-hmm all connected how huh, mike d it's, it's all it is true it's all connected there's no such thing as a coincidence we are all in this together um yeah and we need to we need to be able to look at each other as as peers to uh get through this reading? wonderful things called point? life no <laughs> i'm trying to scratch a piece of paint off my table and i'm kind of like stimming out a little bit so uh yeah but yeah, what a beautiful thing. Thank you uh, for having us on the show, Brad. I know uh, I sort of just bogarted it and asked to be platformed. So I wanted to be very clear about that up front. <laughs> but uh, this this was a deeply meaningful conversation to me uh, personally. And I do feel vulnerable that it was recorded, but I appreciate uh, I appreciate it. Well, most of most Brad and I being vulnerable, Mike D. So maybe- right, but I'm sitting here thinking the entire time. You two, the good news is you two won't shut up. So <laughs> I could I could get, be alone with my emotions and like my analyzation of my own life and experiences. And then by the time it's my turn to talk, I just have to say something stupid. So good. I've been recording your brainwaves, so we'll put that out as an extra episode. No, you, well, you actually really have been recording my brainwaves, but that's a different story. <laughs> People can see that Sunday. Thank you, Brad. No, thank you. you. All right. 
So for everyone at the Screamcast, that's Dr. Stephanie Crawford, Daddy Sean DeRager, Brad for the love of the game is Sam Raimi's best horror movie, Henderson, and special guest Ms. Sarah Quick and all. This is Mike D saying, go vegan, drive the speed limit, and listen to punk rock music. Woo! Don't go vegan. Go veggie. Go veggie. For sure. Oh, don't tell me you're leaving. The party's just begun.